Today we begin a study, a journey through the book of Daniel together. You can turn to the book of Daniel if you don't know where Daniel is. Uh, it's in the Old Testament and uh, it's, you can cruise on past the Psalms, right? Proverbs, and you're going to find your way into the prophets. It's right after the book of Ezekiel and uh, right before the book of what? Hosea. Right? So, we're going to be in the book of Daniel for some time together, and um, I think this is a timely book for us to study. We're going to see that this morning, but if you want to write this down, uh, the big idea for today is this, that faithfulness to God looks like being different. Faithfulness to God looks like being different. So this is an important book. It's an important book of the Bible Um, Not just simply because it's in the Bible, but because God is speaking directly to His people through not what is good experiences, but difficult experience. This is an important book of the Bible because it's in a genre of literature known as exilic literature. So it's during the time of exile. So the, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel have been taken into captivity and they are in exile. The book was written during this period of time. There are some other books of the Bible in the Old Testament that fall under this genre of literature. It would be books like Esther and Isaiah and what Sarah just shared with us from the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah falls under this and the book of Ezekiel. It was written a really, really long time ago. 603 B.C. So this is old. It's ancient Scripture, right? And, and so because of that, there's a gap between where we are and its original audience. And so because of that, we have to really lean in and really seek to understand because the gap between where they were and we are is vast. But what's interesting about the book of Daniel is it's very practical. It might be dark and strange and weird at certain spots, But the reality is, is we find ourselves in a very similar environment that the people of Israel did in this time of exile. You see, the book of Daniel is about how to be a faithful witness and be a faithful follower in a dark and hostile environment. The Bible, specifically in the book of Daniel, unlike other books of the Bible, is not written inside Israel. It's written outside. And this is helpful because it helps us to see what it looks like to be Christ followers behind enemy lines and not inside Christian enclaves. How do we live as followers of Jesus in the world and not be of the world, as the New Testament writes? Just like in Daniel's day, We live in a secular society, and that is dealing with several things. Generational conflict, right? We see this at play, generational conflict. We see also racial conflict. This was what was at play in the book of Daniel. There's generational conflict, there's racial conflict, there was religious conflict, there was moral conflict, and there was political conflict. Sound familiar? 
sounds very familiar to the world that we live in, right? Uh, generational conflict, racial conflict, religious conflict, moral conflict, and political conflict. So this book is strange, but it's hopeful and helpful. So let's dive right in and look at the first couple verses. We're going to read a little bit, talk a little bit, read a little bit, talk a little bit today. A little bit different than what we normally do. Verse number 1, Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So these two verses right here at the outset give us the context for the book of Daniel. What's going on? Babylon here refers to a specific kingdom in the 6th century B.C., located in what is known as modern-day Iraq. So, verse 2 tells us that it's in the land of Shinar. Now, I know the majority of us do not know where that's at. You said, well, you told us it's in modern-day Iraq. But the Bible actually talks about the land of Shinar all the way back in the book of Genesis. Some of you maybe know this, but in the book of Genesis, chapter 11... There's a, a thing that happens among mankind. Does anybody know what happened? What did they do? They built a tower, right? It was known as the Tower of what? Babel, right? So they built a tower, and the purpose of this tower was what? To reach heaven. But what's interesting, we'll look at this in just a moment, is that the purpose of this was to make a name for themselves. The text tells us that in Genesis chapter 11. We'll get there in just a moment. But this is talked about, and Shinar is the place where all mankind gathered in order to build a great tower. This is the Tower of Babel. It's actually where the city of Babylon got its name from. Babel, and then it became Babylon. Well, what, is, what does Babylon represent? There's symbolism in this name. Because in the Bible, Babylon also represents not just a physical location, but it represents an alternative spiritual reality, a spiritual power that is built around secular ideas so that man can become God. That is what Babylon represents. In the New Testament, early Christians used Babylon as a code name for Rome. In other words, it was the dominant political and dominant sociological and dominant religious, dominant political power of their time. So the New Testament, the Christians use this word for this. The book of Revelation also speaks of this. Babylon becomes the Apostle John's name for the whole world system. The world system of thinking, the world's system of believing. So, in the Bible, Babylon is the term for the spiritual kingdom at work in the secular powers 
since the Tower of Babel. So since the Tower of Babel, since Genesis chapter 11, this world system, this world perspective has invaded our world. And it's a kingdom that's built in opposition to God, independent of God, and a kingdom where man is in charge and man is at the center. Does this sound familiar? This sound familiar to the world that we live in? That's because the idea, the principle of Babylon is this universal idea of man trying to build structures and systems and belief systems that are apart from God. It's a problem since Genesis 3. So let's take a moment and let that all sink in. That's a lot. That's a lot of information. I could have put it all on one sheet and let you go home and read it and let you digest that for like a week. It's a lot. Take just a moment and let that sink in. See, this is significant because you and I live in Babylon. You and I live in Babylon. You and I, we need this book. We need it. We need it to know how to survive in Babylon. We need this book because these words, they matter. They matter for life, they matter for godliness, they matter for salvation, but they matter for your everyday life. They matter. And so you and I need this book. And so I want to encourage you, don't miss one week. Don't miss one week of this study together. You might need to change your plans. You, you might need to, like, if you're traveling, log on online. Don't miss a week of this study because we need this. So the question then is, how is the book written? Because it's interesting as well. So chapters 1 through 7, you can write this down. Chapters 1 through 7, I'm about to give you a summary of the whole book. Chapters 1 through 7 is about Daniel's life, and it's all the great stories. Probably the stories that even if you weren't raised in church, you're familiar with. The, the culture of this world tries to borrow these stories and retell them in different ways. So you have Daniel in the lion's den. You got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Right? You got uh, dreams, crazy dreams, and you got writings on the wall. You got all the fun stories that would make for great cinema. So that's chapters 1 through 7. Chapters 8 through 12 are Daniel's prophecy about the restoration of Israel, the coming Messiah, and the end of the world. Okay, So, just so you know, there are groups of people who take these and go so far over here that it's crazy, and they got groups of people who take it so far over here that it's crazy, and they create charts and graphs that would fill the whole back wall and on into the next room. And they make predictions. And those things are really, really important for us to look at. But chapters 8 through 12 are this. The way it's written is really important too. So chapter 1 is written in Hebrew. The original language is written in Hebrew because it was written from the perspective of still being in Israel. Chapters 2 through 7 are written in Aramaic because that was the language of Babylon. And so chapters 2 through 7 are written in Aramaic because all the events of particularly chapters 2 through 7, even chapter 1, but it's like this, it's this perspective 
telling people, reaching forward of what's going to happen. So it's written in Hebrew. Two through seven are written in Aramaic because it all takes place in Babylon. And chapters eight through 12 are go back to Hebrew because this is for the people of God to know what's going to happen in the future. So this is significant. You say, why? Because even in the way it's written, God is communicating to every follower since the time of the captivity and exile all the way up until today, here is how you live in Babylon. This is how you live as saints in a secular world. That's how we got the title for the series. Not real rocket science, but here is how you live as saints in a secular society. Do you know what it looks like to be a Christian? Even outside the sheltered Christian enclaves that we like to gravitate towards. Do you know what it looks like to live as saints in a secular society? What does faithfulness look like when we are behind enemy lines? These are the things that the book of Daniel unpacks for us. So right from the start, God shows us what it looks like, right here in Daniel chapter 1, what it looks like to be different. Everybody say the word be with me. Be. He's trying to help us see what it looks to be different. That's a really, really different thing than do different. Do tries to put a Christian spin on the Tower of Babel. Let me make a name for myself by doing the right things. Being different has to happen outside of us because we are incapable of changing ourselves. We need God to come in and intervene. And what you see in Daniel's life here in chapter 1 is the result of having a well-established faith even at 15. He's about 15 years old in this moment. So let's dive in this morning. Let's look at verse 3 through 6. Our very first point this morning is this. Faithfulness to God is an issue of identity. Faithfulness to God is an issue of identity. Look at verse 3. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine he drank. They were to be educated for three years and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. So we'll get to their names in just a moment, but here's what's happening. Culture is trying to shape our identity just like it was back then. So the way that a conqueror, what they would do in this time, was they didn't necessarily take the whole group of people and bring them back and put them in prison. Why? Because it would totally devastate that particular culture. 
the, the ability to care for all those people, all of that. They just left them where they were at, but they would take all the people of power, all the people of influence, as best as possible, and they would, they would put them in some sort of prison, but then they would take the youth, the next people who were in line, to be educated and to help bring influence, and they would bring them back to Babylon to educate them. And the purpose of this education was so that not only would they influence them in Babylon, but they would send them back to influence the culture that they had just dominated. You see, their goal was to change it from the inside, not from the outside. Their goal was not to bring everybody outside of their culture and influence them, but to draw them inside the culture and then send them back. That was their goal. And the way that they taught them was literature and language and food. What is this? It's culture. Culture is always trying to shape us. It is not neutral. We we can get kind of caught into this idea that culture is neutral. Movies are neutral. Music's neutral. Right? Food is neutral. It's not. It is trying to shape us. It is trying to influence us. Culture equals language, learning, food, and experiences. These four young men have come out of a culture that is all about Yahweh. They, they have worshipped Yahweh. All of the items that were taken to go back to be defiled were used as a way of worshipping Yahweh. And now they're being used to serve self. These four men. But what's interesting is we learn about these four guys. But there was more than these four guys. History tells us that there was about 10,000 of these four guys who were taken because they knew if they could influence these group of people, they could change a whole society. They could change a whole culture. And the culture that these four young men, as well as the other 10,000, had come from was a covenant culture that was all about God and man's relationship with Him. It was about God making a name for Himself through His people. And this culture, the Babylonian culture, was all about making a name for yourself. We'll talk about more of that in just a moment. You see, culture in this world isn't neutral. It is always trying to shape us. And it has been since the beginning. We go back to Genesis chapter 3, and we look at the language that the serpent uses with Eve. Listen Think about it for just a moment. Did God say that? This is influence. It's a question of, did God really say that? And then the accusation is made, well, God said that because He doesn't want you to be like Him. In other words, He doesn't want to make your name great. He wants to make His name great. And that is not acceptable. You should take and eat of the fruit so that you can make your name great. You see what this is? From the very beginning, words, language, food, getting to the very essence of the things that speak to the core of who we are, seeking to influence us. The Babylonian culture went after the young to educate them. Literature and language were the basis of their learning. Sounds like university life today. 
Food was the very way of teaching them as well, through worship. You're going to see throughout our study in the book of Daniel, food is used as a way of worshiping. But what's interesting is God does the same thing. But the object of the worship isn't self, but it's Him. That we can use feasts to celebrate God. It's a perversion of God's design. But let's pause for just a moment, and I want you to think about what happened to the world of these 15-year-olds. These 15-year-olds, these high school-age boys, watched their homeland be invaded. They watched their homeland be invaded, their families killed, their temple desecrated, and their future ability to have children taken away. So they were made eunuchs. We don't need to go into all that. Talk about all the details related to it. But they're, in a, they're now unable to, to procreate and have children. This has been taken away at 15. And some of us think that we're in a difficult environment. We'll get to this in the end, but I want you to think about this for a moment if you're parents. Are you preparing your kids to live as saints in a culture? Or is the culture preparing them to live as secular? You see, these 15-year-old boys, we're going to see them respond in godly ways because their parents had educated them and taught them and led them towards what it looks like to live as saints. We have a wonderful responsibility. The question is, can your kids and my kids only survive in a Christian bubble? Or if everything is taken away, will they have the ability to discern and know and understand and know how to respond? So, we see under faithfulness to God as an issue of identity that culture has a way of shaping our identity. We also see that names, names have a way of shaping our identity. Look at verse 6 and 7. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel called Belteshazzar, Hananiah called Shadrach, Mishael called Meshach, and Azariah called Abednego. Now there's a lot going on here. So here's what's taking place. The chief of the eunuchs, his job was to be like the university president. These guys show up, and it's their first day of school. Anybody loved the first day of school? Anybody love the first day of school? Nobody. Oh, we got a couple that love the first day of school, right? All of the extroverts love the first day of school. This is our opportunity to get to know people and, and tell people our name. That's not Cheryl, but that's okay. And, uh, and so we like the first day of school. It's, it's an opportunity to learn. Some of us don't like the first day of school because now we're introverted. We've got to tell people our name. We've got to tell it over and over and over. We do this with my kids. My kids, when they went to school for the first time at the beginning of September, we were like, hey, do you know any of your classmates' names? No. Day one. Day two of school, do you know any of your classmates' names? No. So day three, here's what we're going to do. We're going to bribe you. We'll get some ice cream if each of you can tell us a kid's name. So this is what's taking place with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They show up, and they said, what is your name? And Daniel goes, my name is Danielle. Interesting. That's not a name that I know of. 
What does it mean? Because back then, every name was assigned on purpose because it had meaning, even in pagan cultures. And so he says, my name is Danielle, and it means God is my judge. Ooh, God is my judge. Hmm. God's a God of judgment? You worship that kind of God? We can't stand for that, so we're going to give you actually a female name. Belteshazzar. It means the treasurer of Baal. So talk about being incredibly practical, right? Gender wars, all of this stuff. This is right here in the Old Testament. His name is changed from a male name to a feminine name, to a female name, for the explicit purpose of shaping his identity. But in spite of his name being changed, he is grounded in his identity. How about this? Hananiah, God is gracious. Well, we can't stand for that. So we're going to change your name to Shadrach, which means under the command of Aku, the moon god. Michelle, what's your name? It's Michelle. There is none like God. Oh, we can't stand for that. The uniqueness of God, we can't have that, so let's change your name. We're going to change it to Meshach because it's close. Right? Michelle, Meshach, we just changed the little ending there. There is none like Aku, the moon god. How about Azariah? Azariah? What does that mean? God has helped me. We can't stand for that. Let's change it to Abednego, the servant of Nebo. Think about the conversations that these guys were able to have. The conversations they were able to give testimony to, preach the gospel, in other words, in the Old Testament about who their God is and what He had done. And they do this in a miraculous way because you'll see at the end of the book of Daniel, in the sections where he is talked about, they call him Daniel. He knew how to live in a culture and not be a jerk. He knew how to stand up for his beliefs in such a way that they still honored him in their culture. You see, Babylon is always trying to change your name. It's always a matter of identity. And in our culture, the same things are used. Names, genders, identities. To do this, to say, you cannot use your ethnicity or your uniqueness to draw attention to God. If you do, it's unacceptable. That's what the Babylon of our time says. But if you're willing to assimilate and talk about racial things and political things and sexual things in a way that we agree with, then it's okay. So you can see that this book is absolutely practical for us. We need to think about this because this is the Babylon that we live in. Scripture tells us that Babylon stood for an ideology. And that ideology goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 11 that says, let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let's build a tower that will reach the heavens. In other words, let's get ourselves up higher so that we can be equal with or level with God. 
and let's make a name for ourselves. It's interesting because Daniel would have understood what's going on here because his parents prepared him. And Daniel was of the tribe of Judah, which meant he was a descendant of Abraham. I want you to think back to Genesis chapter 17. If you don't know this story, I'd encourage you to go back even today. Read the book of Genesis chapter 17. We're introduced to a guy named Abram who was in Ur of the Chaldees. This same place. This same place. And God calls him out to come and follow him from Ur of the Chaldees, and he gives him a new name named Abraham. He calls him out, and he, he gives him a new name, and here's what God says to Abraham. I will make your name great. You see, it's what John Lennox calls as the tale of two cities. That ever since Genesis 3, what we've been dealing with is this. We've been dealing with, am I going to make my name great, or is God? Am I going to make a name for myself and try to build a tower and make myself like God and become my God, or am I going to trust God? Am I going to humble myself? You see, Abraham looked for a city not built with his own hands, but what the Scriptures tell us is a, whose builder and architect is God. Because it's the only way to live. And this passage shows us that we can't have multiple identities. You cannot have an identity rooted and grounded in the world and its system of building a name for itself and follow Jesus. You can't. But you can follow Jesus and love Him and live for Him and serve Him and live in Babylon. And this book shows us what this looks like. The question is, do you trust God like this? If you trust God with your identity, no matter how much the culture tries to change your name, you won't lose your identity. No matter how much the world tries to change your perspective, you are able to live in the city, but not for the city. Do you trust God like this? You see, Daniel resolved to be a person that God made him to be regardless of location. Verse 8 through 16 show us that faithfulness to God is an issue of integrity. We don't have time to dig into all of this, but the passage tells us that Daniel resolved, he resolved not to defile himself with the king's meat. So was there something wrong with the meat and the wine? Well, there are some scholars that are like, well, it was, it was offered to idols, that's why it was wrong, and, and all of that. But it was more about Daniel resolving to be who God had made him to be. He was resolved to live by the values that flowed from his identity in God. And yet the culture in Babylon was trying to indoctrinate him. We don't have time to unpack all of this, but I want you to think about three ways that the culture tries to indoctrinate us that's similar to Babylon. Number one, money. Money. Babylon approaches money from the standpoint of acquisition. 
get all you can, keep all you can, because money is the lifeblood. The key to the good life is more. But money for the believer is different because for the follower of Christ, the approach to money is that God is where we place our trust and treasure, and that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, James chapter 1. And so we, we place our trust in Him, not in money. How about sex? Babylon approaches sex from the standpoint of it's all about me. And however I want to engage sex is about how it makes me feel. Rather than God's standard, sex for the believer, the Christian sees sex as a gift from God to be used for God's purposes according to His design. And God's design is that it's in a marriage, a covenant marriage between one man and one woman for a lifetime. You see, Babylon says that doesn't matter. If you're a man and you want to marry a man, do what makes you feel good. If you're a woman and you want to marry a woman, do what makes you feel good. If you're a woman, you were born a woman, and you don't want to be one, do what makes you feel good. You see, this is not neutral stuff. The stuff that we deal with in our culture, we can find ourselves on the end where we just shout at people and throw bombs at people, but Daniel shows us something altogether different. He shows us a life that's together different. It was said of the early Christians that they stood in stark contrast to the Roman citizens in the New Testament because they were promiscuous with their money, but not with their bed. In other words, they were generous. They lived in Roman society generous, but did not give in to the world system of sexuality. So we have money, we have sex, and then you have power. For Babylon, whatever power you have, you press it to your advantage. If that's your looks, you use it. If that's your money, you use it. If that's your influence, you use it. If it's your minority status, use it. If it's your majority culture status, use it. Whatever power you have is to be held onto and pressed for an advantage. But power for the believer sees any position and power or privilege as a means of serving people. As a means of lifting others up. Jesus does this all the time. Rather than using His position of power to be served, hey, I'm the Messiah, I showed up, worship me and adore me, what does He do? He washes disciples' feet. He talks to Samaritan women on the roadside at the well. He heals the leper, the people who were ostracized from society. Do you see God's economy is altogether different than the Babylonian If we're going to stand as saints in a secular society like Daniel, we must have integrity. Integrity is a decision made beforehand, not in the moment. That's why the text tells us that he resolved. He resolved before he left Israel and found himself in Babylon. You say it's not in the text. I think it's implied. His ability to answer and do the things that he does is because this resolution happened before he showed up. And books like Daniel often show us 
that the refusal to compromise is a vehicle to show off God's power. The refusal to compromise is a means of God's grace of you glorifying Him. So if we're going to stand as saints in a secular society like Daniel, if we're going to do this, we must see integrity as a crucial reality. So let me just ask you a really practical question. Where do you need to resolve to not be defiled? Where? If, if you're a man in this room, particularly when it comes to sexuality and pornography, you've got to resolve. You have to. Every day when you go onto Instagram, you, you, you're gonna have, if you're going to be on that platform, you're going to have to resolve to not defile yourself. When, when you get log on to your laptop or in your iPad late at night, you're going to have to resolve to not defile yourself. Not for your acceptance, but from your acceptance in Christ. This is what it looks like to live with integrity. So many of us lose our influence in Babylon because we don't resolve. We don't resolve in private to do what God has called us to do so when we are thrust into public, we have no credibility. Daniel shows us what it looks like to live with credibility in Babylon because he resolves to not defile himself. But it's interesting because Daniel is not the hero of the story in chapter 1 because he ate only vegetables. There are pastors who will tell you that. Do the Daniel fast, right? And really what it's about is about weight loss and taking control for yourself. That's not the point of Daniel chapter 1 in the fast of the vegetables. Because what's interesting is if you read down through the rest of the chapter, I challenge you to do this today, what you find is these four men, their appearance is as if they didn't eat just vegetables. God does that. God sustains them. God's the hero of the story. But their partnership in God being the hero of the story is that they lived with integrity. So what are the places in your character that need to be shaped by God's Word? Will you resolve to remain holy to God in all things? Will you run to Him? Or will you try to make your name great? Lastly, as we conclude... Faithfulness to God is an issue of influence. I want you to look at verse 17 through the end of the chapter. As for these youth, four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all wisdom and literature. Who gave it to them? God. These are smart guys. I love this passage. I, I encourage my son who's at the University of Wyoming. God has uniquely gifted you. Use it. But in using it, it's not you. It's God who gave it to you. God gave them learning and skill. They, they disciplined themselves to learn the thing, but God gave them the ability with the, with the literature of the Chaldeans and the language of the Chaldeans to have wisdom. And Daniel had understanding with all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded 
that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired them, he found them ten times better. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Once again, here's what some pastors do with this passage. They say, if you'll, if you'll do the Daniel fast, then God will give you influence. That's prosperity gospel, just so you know, and it's a false gospel. So what the text is telling us is if we will obey God, right? If we will seek Him, He will promote. He will empower. He will give you the wisdom. He will give you the understanding. He is the hero of the story. But faithfulness to God is an issue of influence. God gave Daniel influence not because he ate vegetables, but because he trusted God. God gave him influence because he resolved to not defile himself with the king's meat, but to follow God. God gave him influence because he wasn't a jerk. He could have come in and said, you know what, my name is Danielle. You're not going to call me Belteshazzar. This is my God-given name. You better back up. Right? Better not do that. Better not teach me that. In fact, we're going to sit over here and do our own thing. Daniel would have died. He would have gotten killed. And some of us, I'm preaching now, some of us, in the name of trying to stand up for what's right, we're jerks. And we receive persecution. We say, oh, I'm being persecuted. No, you're just a jerk. Daniel knew how to stand up and not be a jerk. He shows us. You see, faithfulness to God is an issue of influence. And if you choose to just live in the Christian enclave where it's safe, you will not have influence in Babylon. You see, Daniel understood what a prophet that Sarah told us about said long before this in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah says this to a group of people. He says, this is what the Almighty says, the God of Israel. Says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem. This is in Jeremiah 29. Really, really famous passage that's got one verse that's pulled out of context. He tells them this, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they two may have sons and daughters. Increase in number. So this is, of course, not the 10,000 that were taken in, but all the people who were back in Israel. He says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because it, if it prospers, you will prosper. What is this? This is influence. David would have understood this even at 15. The importance of being in, but not of. And the way that we do this is when we understand that culture is not neutral and faithfulness to God is having a safe, secure identity rooted and grounded in the love of God, 
the nature of God, the person of God, and not you and yourself. And it's this, it's saying, I understand that faithfulness to God is an issue of integrity. That I want to be in public who God has made me also in private. That I'm going to have both worlds under the submission of Jesus and saying, Jesus, use me however you want to. And then lastly, I'm going to influence and I'm going to use my influence for the glory of God in spite of our world not being anything about the glory of God. You see, Daniel got this message and he understood its meaning. And he understood that there are more than two options. Our world will tell us to assimilate. Think like us, live like us, act like us. And much of the Christian world will call us to separate. And there are ways that we need to separate and be different. We'll see those throughout our study in the book of Daniel. But Daniel shows us a third way. An identity rooted and grounded in God. In the culture. In the culture of Babylon. He saw a third way. And that third way is a life of faithfulness in Babylon by embracing his identity, living by godly character, and being a person of influence, seeking the peace of the city, and praying to God that his name would be great. You see, faithfulness to God looks like being different. Not doing different. Being different. And God is who makes us different. So the response today is this. If you don't know Jesus, you can't obey your way into being different. You can't come to church enough and read your Bible enough and trust enough and and pray enough for God to make your name great. You can't make your own name great. That life will lead you away from God, not to God. And so the response today is to turn from the life of building towers for yourself and come to God in repentance and faith. To trust Him, to believe in Him. For those of us who are here who are followers of Jesus, the response today is this. The response is to embrace God's identity over your life. To not allow Babylon to shape your identity any longer but to embrace your God-given identity. And that speaks to so many here today because some of you come in today discouraged and the world is telling me and telling you that your discouragement is what defines you. Your shame is what defines you. Your guilt is what defines you. And what's beautiful is in spite of the hardships that we're going through, if we are in Christ, He defines us. His love for us defines us. His declaration over our lives that we are children of God is what defines us. So embrace that today. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling with issues of integrity. Repent. Repent. Turn from those things and resolve today. Resolve today, if you're a man in this room, resolve today to not be defiled. If you're a mom here today struggling with pornography as well, resolve, resolve to not be defiled. 
this was a daily resolution for Daniel. This was a moment-by-moment resolution. But let today be the day that you resolve to not be defiled. And then will you respond by living as saints? This is a huge responsibility. God calls us to live as saints in this secular society called Babylon, called the U.S. of A. Think about all the language. I'm over time. Think about all the language of even our own country. The indelible right. Like the way that we now use language like that to to say, this is about me. It's not about God. And yet God calls us to live in this country that we live in as saints who say, I live for a different kingdom. And that kingdom is not about the power that the world offers. It's not about the sex that the world offers. It's not about the money that the world offers, but it's about God. And so I see all of those things differently. Will you embrace that today? Would you stand with me as we pray?